God is glorious in his saints. Welcome to the Christian Saints Podcast. My name is Professor Darren Ong, recording from Sepang in Malaysia. In this podcast, we explore the lives of the Christian saints, from the Anglican, Roman Catholic, and Eastern Orthodox traditions. Today, we commemorate St. Andrew Kim Hagon. He was a Korean priest of the Roman Catholic Church and a martyr who lived in 19th century Korea, which then was a kingdom under the Joseon dynasty. The arrival of Christianity to Korea was rather unique. It wasn't foreign missionaries who brought Christianity to Korea, but rather Christian texts that were brought in by the Koreans themselves from China. In the early history of the Christian faith in Korea, it was largely Korean Christians who were spreading the religion themselves. Let us read from a brief early history of Catholicism in Korea by Andrew E. Kim, no relation to the saint. This excerpt is from a journal article titled History of Christianity in Korea from its troubled beginning to its contemporary success. This is an article from the Korea Journal, volume 35, number 2, published in 1995. There is no record either of missionaries or of any organized body of Catholic believers in Korea before the middle of the 18th century. However, there are traces of contact with Christianity as far back as 1592. Many members of the invading Japanese armies of Toyotomi Hideyoshi were converted Christians. One of the Japanese generals in charge of the invasion force was Konishi Yukinaga, an ardent Roman Catholic who was accompanied on the campaign by a Jesuit priest. During their short stay, the Japanese Christians seemed to have performed their duties only amongst the Japanese soldiers and there is no evidence to suggest that their stay had any lasting effect on the Korean populace. It was not until the latter part of the 18th century that a small number of Koreans were first introduced to Catholicism. Around the year 1770, a Korean envoy to China, Chong Tu Won, brought back to Korea Matteo Ricci's Tian Chu, that is, the true doctrine of the Lord of Heaven. A group of literati, called the Shilhak Scholars, studied the Catholic literature with hopes of learning about the Western civilization. In 1783, the Shilhak Scholars asked the son of an ambassador to China, 
Yi Sanghun to visit the Catholic missionaries in China and to absorb all he could about this Western religion. Yi sought out the priests in Beijing who were more than happy to give instruction on Catholicism and was baptized in the process. Upon his return in 1784 with the books and articles on Christian doctrine which were given to him by the priests in Beijing, Yi distributed the Christian literature to the Shilhak scholars. Soon they began to discuss their newly found religion among friends and neighbors thereby laying the foundations of the Catholic Church in Korea. These men, in fact, assumed certain priestly functions, including the sacrament of baptism. Despite the suspicion that their new religion and new way of life drew upon them from the general populace, they abandoned all pagan rites and preached Catholicism openly, instructing their converts in the catechism and giving them Christian baptism. This aspect of the history of Christian missions is noteworthy because it was the Koreans themselves who initiated and performed many functions of the church. Cho Chin Yong writes, One of the most interesting chapters in the history of Catholicism in Korea concerns its origin. Unlike many other lands where the Christian religion was first brought by foreign missionaries. In Korea, it began with a kind of self-study of Christian literature by the natives. The rapid spread of Catholicism among an intellectual circle was not, however, without opposition. Most intellectuals and government officials were against the new religion, believing that it was a threat to the basis of a Confucian society. They thought that many elements of Christian doctrine conflicted with the basic ethical and ritual principles of Confucianism. The most controversial issue at the time was the question of Chesa, the time-honored rituals of ancestor worship. The Catholics considered ancestor worship to be an act of idolatry, prohibited by God in the First Commandment. Accordingly, the instruction from the bishop in China was that Christians must not participate in those rites. This not only caused many Koreans to avoid Catholicism, but also provoked government persecution. The refusal to perform Chesa resulted in imprisonment or death. Christianity commands ultimate loyalty to God. This uncompromising feature of the prophetic religion of the West brought about its official condemnation by the Confucian government, and this basic anti-Christian policy was to last to the next tragic century of the Catholic movement in Korea. In spite of the government persecution, the Catholic Church grew impressively, increasing its membership from 4,000 in 1795 to 10,000 by 1801. Hopes of continuing growth, however, were dashed by the death of Prime Minister Che Chegong in 1799 and of King Chongjo in the following year, both of whom had been tolerant of Catholicism. Because the son of the latter, King Sanjo, was a minor, 
His mother ruled in his place as the Queen Regent. One of the first things she did in her capacity as the Queen Regent was to issue an edict ordering adherents of the evil learning to be treated as being guilty of high treason. Catholicism was popular among many prominent members of the politically ousted Southerners faction that was considered subversive by the ruling authority at the time. The edict associated Catholicism with many hideous crimes, including the suspension of traditional custom, destruction of morality, the abolition of ancestor worship, heresy, the use of magic spells and incantations, and subversive anti-state activities. The Xinyu persecution of 1801 was the result of this edict taking the lives of at least 300 Catholic martyrs and leading to more than a thousand arrests. In the decade following the Xinyu persecution, the church went underground, successfully avoiding conflicts with the court. In the second decade of the 19th century, however, there were random outbreaks of localized persecution in many southern parts of Korea. The most severe one was the Ulhe persecution of 1815. Mostly confined to the southern Gyeongsangdo province, the main targets were Catholic refugees who had fled from the Xinyu persecution. These refugees lived in the remote mountainous regions of this province, but their prosperity at the time of general famine and hardship aroused the jealousy of the neighbors and the former's adherence to Catholicism provided the motive for the latter's attack. Hundreds of Catholics were massacred. The Chonghe persecution of 1827 was the government's next main attempt to suppress Roman Catholicism. Similar to the Ulhe persecution, the Chonghe persecution was confined mostly to one area, Cholado province, but was shorter and less harsh than the former. In spite of the continuing persecution, church leaders in Korea made numerous requests to the bishop in Beijing for a resident priest in Korea. Although Chinese churches themselves were troubled by a shortage of priests, it was able to send a Chinese priest, Father Liu Fangzhi, in 1831. During the next five years, moreover, several French priests joined Liu's ministry thereby forming the most formidable Catholic presence in Korea thus far. An equally significant development at the time, at least from the perspective of the Korean church history, was the sending of three young Koreans to Macau for studies in theology, of whom two became the first native priests, Kim Taegon and Jo Young-ok. Yet another persecution. Kihei, in 1839, restrained the expansion of Catholicism. The court seemed to have been most concerned about the presence of illegal foreigners, in other words, the missionaries, and such a suspicion resulted in the proclamation that not only prohibited any further teaching of Catholicism, but also gave the government a free reign in expelling and persecuting the Catholics. Over 200 Catholic Christians died from this persecution, including a French bishop, two French priests, and numerous church leaders. Despite the persecution, 
the Catholic Church still continued to grow, mainly through the efforts of lay assistance to the French priests. Accompanying a priest or traveling alone, these men visited virtually every area where Christians were known to live, hearing confessions and carrying out the Mass. St. Andrew Kim grew up in a devout Roman Catholic family in this environment of periodic persecution. In fact, his father was also killed for his faith. Let us hear about St. Andrew Kim's life story from the website of the Asian Catholic Initiative of the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Chicago in the United States. St. Kim Taegon, generally referred to as St. Andrew Kim Taegon, was the first Korean-born Catholic priest and is the patron saint of Korea. In the late 18th century, Roman Catholicism began to take root slowly in Korea and was introduced by lay people. In 1836, Korea saw its first consecrated missionary members of the Foreign Mission Society arrive. They found out that the people there were already practicing Catholicism. Born of Korea's traditional ruling class, Kim's parents converted to Catholicism, which was prohibited heavily in Confucian Korea. His father was subsequently martyred for practicing Christianity. After baptism at age 15, Kim studied at a seminary in the Portuguese colony of Macau. During his seminary years, he also spent time in Lolomboy, Bokoy, Bulacan in the Philippines, where his statue was erected in the village. He was ordained a priest in Shanghai in 1844 by the French bishop Jean-Joseph Jean-Baptiste Ferriol. After ordination, he returned to Korea to preach and evangelize. In those days, the Choson dynasty ruled the country, and Christianity was suppressed thereby, causing many Christians to be persecuted and executed. Catholics had to covertly practice their faith. Kim was one of several thousand Christians who were executed during this time. In 1846, at the age of 25, he was tortured and beheaded near Seoul on the Han River. Before Bishop Ferriol died from exhaustion on February 3, 1853, his final wish was to be buried beside Kim, the young seminarian whom he ordained. He was very much affected by the death of Andrew, the young martyr. He remarked, You will never know how sad I was to lose this young native priest. I have loved him as a father loved his son. It is a consolation for me to think of his eternal happiness. On May the 6th, 1984, Pope John Paul II canonized Kim along with 102 other Korean martyrs, including Paul Chong Hassan, during the Pope's trip to Korea. Their memorial is on September the 20th.
Many of the writings and speeches of St. Andrew Kim survive. Most significantly, we have this last exhortation from him written before his martyrdom. An excerpt is in the Office of Readings of the Roman Catholic Church for September 20th, the feast day of St. Andrew Kim. We will read that excerpt now. My brothers and sisters, my dearest friends, think again and again on this. God has ruled over all things in heaven and on earth from the beginning of time. Then reflect on why and for what purpose he chose each one of us to be created in his own image and likeness. In this world of perils and hardship, if we did not recognize the Lord as our creator, there would be no benefit either in being born or in our continued existence. We have come into the world by God's grace. By that same grace we have received baptism, entrance into the church, and the honor of being called Christians. Yet what good will this do us if we are Christians in name alone and not in fact? We would have come into the world for nothing, we would have entered the church for nothing, and we would have betrayed even God and His grace. It would be better never to have been born than to receive the grace of God and then to sin against him. Look at the farmer who cultivates his rice fields. In season he plows, then fertilizes the earth, never counting the costs. He labors under the sun to nurture the seed he has planted. When harvest time comes and the rice crop is abundant, forgetting his labor and sweat, he rejoices with an exultant heart. But if the crop is sparse, and there is nothing but straw and husk. The farmer broods over his toil and sweat and turns his back on that field with a disgust that is all the greater, the harder he has toiled. The Lord is like a farmer and we are the field of rice that he fertilizes with his grace and by the mystery of the incarnation and the redemption irrigated with his blood, in order that we will grow and reach maturity. When harvest time comes, the day of judgment, those who have grown to maturity in the grace of God will find the joy of adopted children in the kingdom of heaven. Those who have not grown to maturity will become God's enemies. Even though they were once his children, they will be punished according to their deeds for all eternity. Dearest brothers and sisters, when he was in the world, the Lord Jesus bore countless sorrows and by his own passion and death founded his church. Now he gives it increase through the sufferings of his faithful. No matter how fiercely the powers of this world oppress and oppose the church, they will never bring it down. Ever since his ascension, and from the time of the apostles to the present, the Lord Jesus has made his church grow even in the midst of tribulations. For the last 50 or 60 years, ever since the coming of the church to our own land of Korea, the faithful have suffered persecution over and over again. Persecution still rages, and as a result, many who are friends in the household of faith, myself among them, have been thrown into prison, and like you are experiencing severe distress. Because we have become the one body, should not our hearts be grieved for the members who are suffering? 
because of the human ties that bind us, should we not feel deeply the pain of our separation. But as the scriptures say, God numbers the very hairs of our head, and in his all-embracing providence he has care over us all. Persecution, therefore, can only be regarded as the command of the Lord, or as a prize he gives, or as a punishment he permits. Hold fast, then, to the will of God, and with all your heart fight the good fight under the leadership of Jesus. Conquer again the diabolical power of this world that Christ has already vanquished. I beg you not to fail in your love for one another, but to support one another and to stand fast until the Lord mercifully delivers us from our trials. There are 20 of us in this place, and by God's grace, we are so far all well. If any of us is executed, I ask you not to forget our families. I have many things to say, yet how can pen and paper capture what I feel? I end this letter. As we are all near the final ordeal, I urge you to remain steadfast in faith, so that at last we will all reach heaven and there rejoice together. I embrace all of you in love. Today, Korea is divided into two countries, which we call North Korea and South Korea. In South Korea, the Christian faith is free of persecution, and Christianity there is growing and flourishing. In North Korea, however, Christianity is forbidden, and persecution continues for the few Christians who live there. I ask listeners of this episode to pray. Please pray for the Christians of Korea, especially the ones facing persecution. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Christian Saints Podcast. Look for the Christian Saints Podcast page on Facebook or Instagram, or find us on Twitter at podcast underscore saints. All music in this episode was composed by my good friend, James John Marks of Generative Sounds. Please check out his music at generativesoundsjjm.bandcamp.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider giving us a five-star review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you use, so more people can find the Christian Saints podcast and be blessed by these stories of God's saints. Let us end with the collect prayer for Saint Andrew Kim. O oh God, who have been pleased to increase your adopted children in all the world, and who made the blood of the martyrs Saint Andrew Kim Tagon and his companions a most fruitful seed of Christians, Grant that we may be defended by their help and profit always from their example. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen.